Welcome, friends, fans, and colleagues. It's Wednesday, so it must be my regular show on Voices of the Sacred Feminine. Uh, This is Karen Tate, uh, your hostess. And um, that little snippet of music you were listening to is uh, by this great group of musicians out of uh, Las Vegas called Vingaya. And uh, that... um, uh, that song of theirs is a single called uh, Nomad Land, uh, and it's one of my favorites. I, I just, um, as soon as I hear it, I get this vision uh, of uh, riding on the back of a camel, sort of loping across the desert uh, in a caravan. Uh, who knows? Maybe it's a past life thing. <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, I uh, have a great show for you today. Um, with me is uh, Lewis. Valadez, and uh, he's going to be with me this Wednesday and next Wednesday. Uh, Today we're going to be talking about uh, the dangers of dominionist Christianity and the Opus Dei. And uh, next week we're going to kind of continue in a sense uh, on a parallel track. Uh, Next Wednesday we're going to be talking about um, how uh, Christianity is... um, uh, has, has been attached historically and currently uh, to um, uh, not only to patriarchy, of course, uh, but to capitalism. And uh, I think it's something that you really need to know because uh, I know growing up in the goddess community and the pagan community, uh, this isn't something we talked about. Uh, this isn't something that um, you know our leaders taught. Uh, and it's actually that uh, the sacred feminine ideals in particular uh, or more associated with uh, socialism or democratic socialism like they have in the Scandinavian countries. So um, I think this is particularly relevant right now uh, if we want to reconcile our spirituality and our politics. But that's, uh, that's more about next Wednesday. Uh, today, uh, as I said, uh, our focus is going to be on uh, who uh, dominionist Christians are, you know, what's the ideology, uh, also the Opus Dei. And um, I believe the guest that I have with me today is particularly positioned to uh, speak to this. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit about um, Reverend Lewis. Uh, he is a former licensed and ordained Christian minister, um, but uh, he's better known in the neo-pagan and witchcraft communities uh, as Oracle. Uh, He's a neo-pagan minister, and he's been initiated in a number of esoteric traditions. Uh, He's a druid in two druid orders, uh, an initiate in the Strega family uh, of the late Dr. Leo Martello, uh, an elder in the Minoan Brotherhood uh, and the Alexandrian tradition of Wicca. Uh, He's a founder and high priest of the Temple of Hecate. And uh, currently, uh, he's ordained through the Church of All Worlds, uh, perhaps the first uh, neo-pagan church in the world. Uh, He's currently studying for his bachelor's degree in alternative medicine, uh, and he's concentrating on nutritional therapy. And he's the author of uh, the forthcoming book titled uh, Strixcraft, S-T-R-I-X, Craft, Ancient Greek Magic for the Modern Witch. Uh, which Llewellyn is going to publish this year. So, um, uh, Reverend Lewis Valadez, do you mind if I call you Lewis? Good afternoon, Karen. Thank you for having me. Um, I do not mind at all. Thank you you again for um, hosting me. I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to the show. 
Oh, well, welcome, welcome, welcome. And, um, you know, as I said, I think this is really important. Uh, and, and listen, if at any point during this conversation I am misinformed uh, and I have the facts wrong, please don't hesitate to straighten me out because I don't want to repeat uh, or spread uh, misinformation. Uh, but, I, but one of the reasons I thought this topic was so important is because there are a lot of people out there, I believe, um, who are at the helm of our country or influencers um, who are in this dominionist uh, or opus day um, sect or ideology of Christianity. Um, is, is that true? Yes. Um, it, is, it is a fact that we have had a slow and steady increase in Christian domination in uh, government and other areas of this country. Um, as a matter of fact, the church I grew up in, the churches that I was involved in, really pushed for dominionist theology. Well, and and I wonder if you could kind of name some names. Um, I mean, I think our um, uh, the guy who's in charge of the Justice Department, uh, Boer, um, I read he was Opus Dei. Um, and is that correct? That is correct. Yes, um, Opus Dei uh, tends to be is an or a Catholic organization that in my opinion, is very subtle and very dangerous. And you don't mind, let me explain why. Um, Opus Dei was actually founded in Spain. It means work of God. And um, the Opus Dei was founded in 1928 by a, by a priest named Jose Maria Escriva. And what he wanted to do, and he's now a saint, actually, in the Catholic Church uh, by, popular, by popular vote, he, uh, he advocated for holiness, which seems to be okay, except he wanted lay people to express their Catholic holiness no matter what it was, including the support of fascist governments at the time, excuse me, fascist governments at the time, including uh, Francisco uh, uh, Francisco uh, uh, Franco and even the German Hitler regime during its time. Okay. Um, well, well, that's that's kind of scary. And um, I mean, if if some of the listeners out there are thinking, "Gee, I, I heard of Opus Dei, but I don't quite remember where," um, you know, I, I don't know if this is a fair assessment or if this was an extreme example, Lewis. Maybe you can tell me. But um, I remember in the movie The Da Vinci Code, the Opus Dei guy was sort of that kind of crazy maniac that um, was always self-flagellating, you know, beating himself with those whips um, as like a sacrifice to God. Um, I mean, is that a typical thing Opus Dei people do, or was that just kind of an extreme thing, um, you know, for movie making? You know, Opus Dei really did become popular because of the Da Vinci Code, and self-flagellation does have its roots in the flagellants of the Catholic Church in during medieval times. And Opus Dei does encourage some of its members 
to go ahead and practice self-flagellation. There is also a tool called the Salise, which is which people may have seen in the movie, which is a chain with spikes that is around the thigh, and the chain is pulled. It's not meant to cause bloodletting, but it is meant to cause pain, and there is also extreme fasting. There is extreme asceticism, which means that there are times where people in Opus Day will subject themselves to discomfort on purpose in order to get closer to God. Um, speaking of the uh, famous members of Opus Dei, uh, we do have the um, we do have, of course, the, uh, the 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 judge, which you had mentioned. We have, you know, the minister of Chile, uh, Mario Fernandez Baza. Uh, there are other people, many of them in places of government, such as Jesus Estanacirado, which is who is in the Philippines. Uh, and it, there is an FBI agent also who was convicted of spying. If I remember correctly, his name was Robert Hansen. Um, and uh, he, Opus Dei did um, retract his membership after his, his arrest, but it just goes to show how much, how prevalent Opus Dei really is in government. And even in journalism, uh, Opus Dei members tend to be part of that. Now, they are more prevalent in Hispanic countries or Hispanic-influenced countries, such as Latin America, the Philippines, Spain, but uh, because it is very popular in those nations to become very devout is a matter of culture. So we find them more in Latin American countries than we are in Latin influenced countries than we will here in the United States, but in English speaking countries. But that slowly is changing. Okay. And um well it, and let's uh and let's definitely go over to the Dominionist camp. Uh, maybe there's more of them uh maybe here in the United States. Um, and I want to talk about what that ideology is, like, for instance, the seven mountains, uh, as they refer to it, you know, seven parts of society that they want to control the narrative. Um, but first, let me ask you, uh, and I might be wrong about this, uh, but wasn't the former Supreme Court justice who died, um, I, I think it was Scalia, wasn't he Dominionist, Christian, Christian or maybe? He was, uh, Scalia was very much a Christian fundamentalist. Um, What I am more worried about is more so Gorshak, who is a uh, current dominionist. And he was, he is, excuse me, supported by many of the evangelicals including uh, the White House staff member, the religious leader currently in the White House, Paula White. Uh, yeah, that that was what I thought I knew, uh, that the evangelicals that are supporting Trump, um, all of them or a large percentage of them are this dominionist Christianity, I think. Um, can you speak to that a little bit? Is Is that accurate? That is accurate. Many in the administration come. There has been a movement since 
the second post-World War II to really push Christianity into American politics. It was very divisive among Christians, partisan Christians, for some time. But the Pentecostal and Charismatic denominations, which have exploded in number, have really become the extremists who have pushed for government control and Christian theocracy. And this has been planned since post-World War II. It has been planned because many of them feel that God has punished the United States with um, with social uh, socialism or social government uh, funded programs. As a matter of fact, it was a reaction to Franklin Delano Roosevelt's New Deal socialist programs, believing that the uh, God ordained countries were God ordained United States was falling prey to outside fascism along with the other nations. So what we have now is a reaction to many of the policies that were put in place by Democratic uh, nominees or presidents, believing that the Republican Party, the, the GOP, is in fact a party that's been ordained by God, because many of the Republican nominees have pushed for prayer to return to school. They have pushed for family values, quote-unquote. They have pushed for many of the sanctions uh, that um, are part of the Dominionist philosophy, including to control the media narrative in order to support uh, Christian theology and Christian perceptions. Well, and and, uh, some of this we're going to talk about today might overlap uh, a bit into, you know, next Wednesday, um, you know, when we talk a little bit more about uh, capitalism and that. But, yeah, I think – I mean, look, I grew up in the Bible Belt of uh, of New Orleans, and I consider myself lucky that none of the fundamentalists got their hooks into me. Um, and, uh, you know, I guess maybe because New Orleans was kind of, you know, more of an eclectic place. Um, but the point I'm trying to make is, you know, I didn't learn about a lot of this stuff um, as a, you know, as a, as a, as a Catholic, uh, you know, growing up, you know, I didn't know, uh, for instance, and shame on me, uh, that it was the socialists and the communists and the democratic socialists and the labor unions, um, you know, all of those people who, uh, you know, some people want to demonize uh, were the ones that pushed FDR to, uh, you know, put in uh, the social safety net like social security and protection for workers and uh, and stuff like that. So, you know, it's pretty amazing to me that Christians who were supposed to be followers of Jesus um, would want to just leave people out there uh, doing this rugged individualist thing, I guess, and not have a social safety net uh, in, in times of trouble. Um, it, I, I don't know. Where's the disconnect in logic there, Lewis? The disconnect, in my opinion, is that uh, I believe there is something which really infiltrates um, the American mindset that, you know, there is 
this can't possibly be real. This is a freedom of speech. This is the Bill of Rights. This is all of this stuff. And there's even a lot of mainstream Protestant, Protestant denominations which are against Christian theocracy, but they have been drowned out by the majority. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I think about people like um, uh, like uh, former President Jimmy Carter, for instance. I believe he was a Baptist. I mean, that's, that's a Christian. Uh, and, I mean, he left his church because he felt, you know, the church was willfully um, interpreting scripture to discriminate against women, you know. And, um, you know, this patriarchal mindset, you know, in, in some cases, you know, uh, but, uh, you know, this idea that, uh, you know, the poor, the elderly, the worker, you know, that they don't need protections, um, I don't know, it's it's crazy to me. I mean, did they want the, it'd be like the Mormons, you know, they kind of take care of their own and make everybody indebted to the church? Um, you know, is it they want the church to take the place of government so that they can sort of, control the ideology you know, like the soup kitchen you know if you're poor you can go to the soup kitchen but you're going to have to listen to their spiel <laughs> uh if you know if you if you want to want some help well you're going to have to be a member of their church yeah this goes back to the seven mountains that we were that we wanted to discuss um where that you had brought up earlier where the dominionists really are looking to control and they are really looking to see if they can get into government um, to do away with a lot of the social programs. And let me explain why. Um, there is a GOP political activist by the name of David Barton. And David uh, founded, uh, or he wrote a book called The Founder's Bible. The Founder's Bible. And what The Founder's Bible does is it outlines scriptures that really focus on what's called biblical economics. And in biblical economics, what he really pushes for and is supported by people like Glenn Beck and Newt Gingrich and other political uh, allies is that he interprets a lot of the scriptures such as the parable of the vineyard in Matthew 20 verses 1 through 16 where, you know, Jesus talks about um, how there are people that the vineyard owner uh, he asks for help and some of them come at dawn, some of them come at the afternoon, some of them come in the evening but they all agree to the same kind of payment uh, between them and the owner and at the end of the vineyard at the end of the parable each one of them comes and is paid the same wage and the ones that are uh, worked longer say well, how come the ones that work shorter hours get paid the same? And the vineyard owner says, you know, this is what you've agreed to. This is what um, is um, our agreement. And so we're not going to go ahead and we're not going to do a difference between them. You know, this is, this is it. Um, this is the value that you are worth. And so he takes that parable and rather than uh, interpret it in a spiritual manner, he interprets in a literalist manner. We have to remember that Christian dominionists interpret the Bible literally, that it's literal history, literal meaning, not allegorical. And so what he, what he uses is that scripture that says, oh, well, minimum wage, uh, no matter how many hours you work, is up to the 
uh, boss, not for government to intercede or interfere. Another scripture they quote is 1 Timothy 5.8, which says that a, a, a man who does not provide for their home has become an apostate and turned from the faith. And this is all in the Founder's Bible, which basically is encouraging people, you need to work. There is no such thing as a disability. There is no such thing as because God will heal you if you are saved, if you have turned to Christianity and turned to Christ. You should have no problems at all um, picking yourself up and working hard and gaining the kind of uh, profit that you put forward. And this is rooted, of course, in capitalist ideology. And uh, so it's called, you know, this is biblical economics at its, at its finest. I see. Well, and, you know, and I, I read an article by a psychologist um, who was trying to explain to people um, how these uh, so-called Christians, and I'm using air quotes, uh, seem so cruel um, and heartless, uh, you know, when it comes to social programs. And what he wrote was, um, you know, they, uh, they believe that um, if you're not one of them, you know, if you're of another faith, uh, you know, if you're somehow different from them, uh, well, then you're, you're, you deserve your suffering, your hardship, uh, whatever it is. And uh, they don't feel bad if there's no one there to help you. Um, do you think that psychologist um, got that right? Yes. In fact, the churches that I grew up in um, taught that there was a difference between believers and unbelievers and that believers should not mingle, fraternize, become friends with unbelievers. And what they differentiated was that believers, of course, uh, were the righteous um, and the unrighteous would influence the righteous and that there are demonic spirits, evil spirits that surround those who are different, the unrighteous. And so there's a constant war that is going on. Back in the 80s and 90s, especially during the satanic ritual abuse panic of the 80s, there was this real push uh, by the Christians to say, you know, we are at war with demons and we are at war with, um, you know, evil that is infiltrating the government, infiltrating our country through other religions such as Mormonism or Islam or paganism and, you know, even other faiths that pretend to be Christian and are lukewarm churches. And this really birthed what's called deliverance ministries. Deliverance ministries were founded, and what I mean by deliverance ministries are those founded by ministers some of them not even qualified. They don't go to Bible college. They're just, quote, unquote, called to the gospel. The deliverance ministers are uh, people who are literalists, and they feel that they have the gift to cast out demons and to warn people um, to not mingle with anybody outside who does not believe exactly the way they believe, including other Christians. If other Christians do not believe in exactly the same way that that church does, they are not part, they are, they are the unrighteous church. And the church that I grew up in um, and became involved with 
really uh, pushed this to the point to where I had no friends. I was already a very awkward child growing up. And so we were not allowed to have any friends. So we were very cut off. It was a very cult-like atmosphere. And that is the way many of these churches are. They are very cult-like atmospheres, cutting their members off, uh, keeping them to themselves, taking their money, ensuring that they marry only within the church. And most of the churches are people who are related one to another in some form or fashion. And, you know, that's why they evangelize, you know, bring new people, new blood, uh, you know, make sure that we expand the gospel. But many of them are small churches, and but the smaller churches eventually become mega churches with a lot of power and a lot of prestige. And we're seeing that grow ever since the, um, Lynn, uh, the Johnson Amendment by Lyndon Johnson, where churches are not no longer taxed, and so the money is being capped. And they don't have to release anything to show where their funds are going. And so preachers are becoming rich, the poor are becoming poorer, and we're seeing that those, quote-unquote, those biblical economics, that dangerous trend infiltrating what we have now in, into the problems that we are currently experiencing financially, economically, government-wise in our country today. Well, and you know this idea that they want—they don't want you exposed to. Um, uh, I think you called it the—they're the, uh, the righteous, and the other people or the what was the word? The unrighteous. The the unrighteous. Okay, I thought that might. Uh, so if they don't want you exposed to the unrighteous because they want to control your thoughts, your actions, your pocketbook. Um, uh, you know, it it, uh, it it makes me think about a book I just read was on the New York Times bestseller list uh, called Uneducated. And this happened to be written by a woman who escaped Mormonism. But um, you can see how if you live in a small town, maybe, you know, they have a stranglehold on you. You know, uh, you may never get exposed to other ideas other than, you know, what they're teaching you from the pulpit. And that scares me, you know, because I, having come from New Orleans, coming from the Bible Belt, you know, I didn't know half of what I know today until I got out of there. You know, I moved to California. I became a feminist. I learned about goddess. I learned about, you know, alternative history and the kind of stuff like we're talking about today. But it bothers me it scares me to death that so many people are living in these bubbles and they're never exposed to um you know any any other sort of thoughts so that they could maybe uh, even begin to develop some critical thinking yes and there is a famous saying uh, by pastor rod parsley who is another big name in uh, uh of a mega church um and he t he teaches this, and it's filtered down to other ministers where um, it doesn't make sense, it makes faith. And so people are robbed of critical thinking, and if they attack the, or if they question, rather, or, or criticize the leadership, then the leadership will turn around and quote scripture where it says, touch not mine anointed, nor do his leaders any harm. Uh, so basically they are reviled and, and in a way excommunicated and uh, many of the church will turn on them and they'll be attacked. Another thing is they call it division where, 
you know, the Bible encourages the leadership to have a vision of the church, of the direction it's going, what the members, um, you know, the, what the hierarchy is about. And any criticism of that is called, you know, they said if there's more than one vision, that's division is famous uh, adage in the church. So division, of course, is evil. It's, it's the devil. It's infiltration by all of that. And interestingly enough, you bring up small towns. You know, this is also hitting major cities with homeschooling. There is, uh, There was a gentleman uh, named R.J. Rustung, and he is known as the father of Christian homeschooling and really wrote the text on um, what Christian children should learn uh, in homeschooling to pull them out of the demon government uh, run public schooling and for those that do not want to even go to private schooling because Catholics are evil, of course, which is really interesting in that respect, you know, because we have Opus Dei as well, who is fundamentalist. Uh, you would think that they would hand in hand work together, but uh, there is also that separation between the two because Catholics are unrighteous for a variety of reasons. So you have fundamentalists that really, during the time of the, tea, the rise of the Tea Party, who were followers of R.J. Rustum, uh, support this this homeschooling movement to, and and say, you know, we, you know, we need to teach creationism. It's anti-evolution. Uh, we need to teach um, that our founding fathers were were fundamentalist Christians, which of course is not the case. We need to teach the evils of, of, of organizations such as masonry or, or the goddess or neo-paganism or witchcraft or Catholicism, you know, Islam. We need to teach the truth about where these religions come from and they make up all of this history. Uh, it's so imaginative. It's, it's not even funny. It, it, it's like a really bad uh, fan fiction on a lot of the creative license that these Christians take as far as where these religions come from, including the idea that dinosaurs and human humanity, of course, live together in relative harmony until the fall, uh, because prior to the fall, the Bible says that everybody, of course, ate, had a vegetarian or vegan diet, so people are imagining the dinosaurs walking around with a, with a vegetarian um, uh, diet going around and then their teeth changing, of course, after the fall. So, I mean, it's, it's ludicrous, but there you go. That's what happens when logic is just thrown out the window and, and people are just not thinking correctly. And, and, and so this is hitting major cities as well, not just in the small towns. Wow. Um, we're going to take a break now, Lewis, and um, I want to come back, talk more about the Seven Mountains, uh, you know, ideology, you know, what areas of thinking of, uh, of society do they, uh, you know, do they want to control? I want to find out what it was like being a preacher there for you. Um, we're going to get to all of that. Um, but first, um, for listeners, here's a clip from uh, Serena Roney Dougal uh, in Joe Carson's film, uh, dancing with Gaia.
tell you about Joe Carson's film, Dancing with Gaia, an exploration of Earth-based spirituality shot at sacred sites around the world. This is from Janina Renee, author of Playful Magic and By Candlelight. Dancing with Gaia is a magical, transformative film. Just watching it can alter your perception of the physical body and the energy field of the goddess Earth. Next time you are taking a walk or simply gazing across the landscape, you might find yourself affecting mystical fusion with the local earth forms or making deep contact with the spirits of place. If you want to engage deeper with the consciousness of the earth, there are a number of detailed but simple how-tos. What's more, seeing the exquisite works of these Gaia-inspired artists could energize you to start working on some of your own spiritually expressive projects. The DVD was shot in some of the most powerfully sacred sites in the Western world. It comes packaged with a 45-page color booklet, which goes even deeper into the ideas and techniques in the film. The package is just $20, and you can get it from dancingwithgaia.com. Dancing with Gaia is available only at the website dancingwithgaia.com, and that's G-A-I-A, dancingwithgaia.com. Well, um, if you've just tuned in and uh, you're getting to uh, the interview a little bit late, uh, I am speaking to Reverend Louis A. Valadez, a former licensed and ordained Christian minister uh, turned neo-pagan minister uh, who um, is well equipped to speak to us about uh, dominionist uh, Christianity and its dangers uh, as well as the Opus Dei. And um, we were just about to talk more about the Dominionist um, theology or ideology. Uh, They have something called the Seven Mountains that they want to conquer and control and, um, uh, you know, and be in charge of the narrative. Um, So, Lewis, can you tell us a little bit about those Seven Mountains? Yes, um, the Seven Mountains uh, theology or, or program is really the goal of many of the Dominionist uh, camp, and I and I want to say that Dominionism is is a word that they eschew. Uh, they they don't like being called Dominionist, but of course that's what they are. Oh well. Um, so the the Seven Mountains are really government, education, the media. Um, art and entertainment, or Hollywood, uh, religion, the the family, and businesses, and these are the seven areas that the plans that they have to infiltrate and uh, for, to further their ends. So, just kind of briefly, I mean, well, you know, some of it we can imagine. I mean, you've talked a little bit about how uh, what they feel about government. You know, they they don't, uh, you know, they don't like any social you know, safety net, uh, you know, so, you know, it, that's why the GOP or the Republicans um, uh, are always fighting the Democrats uh, about, you know, using our tax dollars to improve our quality of life. Um, but but speak a little bit 
more about the other mountains. I mean, do, does their theology uh, get into, um, I, I mean, like uh, foreign affairs or uh, what movies are made? Um, you know, so, you know, to tell us what you know from having lived it, because you were, um, I mean, you, you lived in a Dominionist community, right? That's correct. I grew up in a Dominionist uh, deliverance ministry, uh, and I was involved with a um, dominionist church that pushed these kinds of these kind of doctrines. And I was allied with other ministers. The church allied the churches would ally themselves with other big names that pushed uh, for these kinds of uh, changes. And you know, uh, one of the, let, let's touch upon you know the arts entertainment for a moment as an example. Um, you know, there is, uh, they, again, Dominionists quote scripture as, as literal. It, it's not allegorical. It's not spiritual. It's, um, it's literal. And so they'll take scripture, what I call verse doctrine, where they'll take one verse out of context and they'll just take, uh, they'll just create a whole doctrine around that one out of context verse because many of these ministers again they they were not educated uh properly in hermeneutics or exegesis they were not properly trained in the ancient languages uh other religious perceptions they, they don't want that it, it's it's their way or the highway and so for example the art entertainment industry um, they call it, that is the big bastion of, of liberal thinking, they call it, the Satan's airwaves. And so many of the, uh, like for example, Ephesians 6.12, where there is a, there is a New Testament, it says, uh, for we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers of the air. And so they take that scripture and say, well, the airwaves are Satan's domain, so we need to do what we can to, uh, to take that away from um, from the from the non Christians and uh, you know so they they talk about how the LGBTQ movement um, has quote unquote infiltrated Hollywood with its own agenda and so we need to do the same thing we need to influence this mountain so we can have Christian music Christian movies TV novels. Christian art, Christian creative licensing, and you know, it's it's really becoming starting to become popular in what's called inspirational films or or spiritual films. That's what they're going to call it. They're not going to call it, you know, Christian. They may call it Christian movies or Christian cartoons, but they're more so going to call it spiritual or inspirational to hide the uh, overt Christian tones, Christian interpretations of these kinds of uh, family-friendly films. That's another one you're going to hear, a family-friendly film. Um, but anything that exposes children, especially to what we consider innocent things, such as Disney cartoons, but because they have magic in it, you know, that's evil. We can't have Disney with its support of the LGBTQ movement to... Um, to influence our, our children because it's all about the children, don't you know? And uh, they do it for the good of the children. You'll hear that a lot. But growing up, I, I could really see that as well. There was um, a push to listen to Christian-only music, to listen to, to read about uh, Christian books. 
And some of the churches uh, actually don't even allow you to read other Christian-based books, just the Bible, saying that the Bible was is the only book that you'll need for for um, anything that is 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 something that you're seeking out, whether it's philosophy or even ludicrous stuff such as uh, medicine. Medicine is considered uh, only to be found in the Bible prescriptions as far as how to eat and how to treat your body as a temple. And, you know, these are the kinds of uh, ludicrous ideas that really set back humanity for hundreds of years in in Europe and in other places where Christianity ruled the state. Uh, These superstitions um, of not needing doctors or not needing anything other than that because um, we have, of course, uh, because there's the seven mountains, but I should probably call it an eighth mountain of uh, medicine and pharmaceuticals where Christians don't want these kinds of things happening. They want... uh, these kind, they want changes in diet. They want to do away, which sounds great at the onset, but then there's the extreme where they don't. They feel like if you're depressed, you can be healed. You must be saved. If you're suicidal, you can be saved, and all of your problems will go away. It's not a mental illness. It's a it's a demon. Um, and if you commit suicide, of course, you're going to go to hell. Uh, and burn in the lake of fire forever and ever. So there's a lot of fear that's put into these people in, in their belief systems, unfortunately. Oh, it's exhausting. Um, and I, I don't know, I guess I've gotten to the point in my life where I don't think there's anything more uh, scary than ignorance. You know, um, I, I mean, and, and, and it reminds me, I, I mean, I hate to use her as a poster child, but it makes me think of Sarah Palin. Um, and I'm sure this sort of uh, embracing of ignorance came along before her. I mean, she didn't come out of a vacuum. Uh, but this idea um, that ignorance was good, you know, it almost feels like they wear it like a badge of honor. Yes, they do. Um, you know, they purposely do not want to be part of what's called this world. Uh, they they want to walk in the, in the other world, in heaven. It's all about getting to heaven. It's all about bringing heaven down, the kingdom of God. Even in the Lord's Prayer, it's, you know, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Well, in, in Greek, it's, it's come thy kingdom, come your will. And so it's very much an imperative. And so they'll, they'll take that and they'll say, you know, your kingdom must be here. Even though Jesus says my kingdom is not of this world, they take that and say, well, it's not of this world yet. We want to make it part of this world so that way we can live a much more holy life. And so ignorance is very much um, a proud badge. For example, many pastors and, and will, will teach their congregations, you don't need to read the newspaper. All you need to do is read the Bible, and that's all you'll ever need. Or come to me because, you know, come to us, and we will tell you what the end times and what, what um, the atmosphere is about. That it's a very scary demon-influenced world out there and and it's so it this i mean this is the kind of rhetoric that they go by and this is the kind of rhetoric we grew up in an an atmosphere of fear that if we were anywhere near someone different we would catch the 
the demon disease, <laughs> for lack of a better word. Uh, we would catch the cooties. And, <laughs> and so... And so this is, uh, you know, ignorance is something that they pride themselves in. So, so you've just said they're the end timers. Um, are they also the malicious? Yes, uh, very much so. You have, maybe not in the United States, although, you know, but you have in other countries uh, Christian-controlled militias um, where they will, uh, uh, you know, move forward to 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 purposely uh make war on other on other uh peoples. I mean, we have this problem right now with the quote unquote neo pentecostals in Brazil where they have attacked um out in the open many of the African diasporic uh religious leaders, uh beat them up, destroyed their altars, destroyed their homes. Um, set fire to things. You'll have militias in Africa where they will, they have burned at the stake young girls and women who are accused of witchcraft. Uh, you know, they they are no joke. Now, they are trying to take control of, the, of our military in certain ways with, with, because, you know, we have to remember that in our Constitution, it is a civilian who's in charge of the military, that is the president of the United States. That's what they wanted to avoid. The founding fathers wanted to avoid a military-based government, so they had a civilian to be in charge of the of the military. You know, with the final word as the commander in chief. So it is believed that if you control the commander in chief, you can control the military. You can control the attacks of uh, where we are going to fight in the world. We can support Israel. We can support um, these these right wing um, uh, nations that that think and feel like us. I mean, we see this in the current administration where we have uh, uh, tr- President Trump alienate ourselves from our from our more liberal allies and really make friends and rub shoulders with more um, despots, as it were, in the world who think like him. And, uh, you know, he thinks like them and vice versa. So, you know, we really see this movement to uh, take control of everything. I mean, there is the stereotype of the proud American in the military uh, and that it's God and country, not country and God, but it is God and country. And so there is this uh, ideal that, you know, with with the God and country um you know anybody who doesn't, who's not proud to be an American, anybody who dissents, anybody who criticizes the government must not be a proud American, must not be proud in the military. Therefore, they are dispensable, and we can treat them however we want. Well, you know, you you just brought something else to my mind. Uh, I remember the um, contractors, military contractors. Uh, I think it was Blackwater uh, who they were out there. Uh, I think uh, during the Iraq War, and they had Bible verses written on sides of tanks. Uh, and Betsy DeVos, I think, is the sister of the guy who owns Blackwater, and she's right up there in the Trump administration. Um, is uh, you know those sorts of military contractors? Uh, I would think it would be pretty dangerous to actually uh, give them too much power. But it seems like uh, the Republicans have. 
Yes, they have. In fact, you know, you brought up Blackwater, you know, these independent contractors, Halliburton and, and, and Blackwater, which were very, uh, you know, but they they don't answer to anybody. They're private military companies. And, uh, you know, the Blackwater Security Consulting uh, was responsible for what's known as uh, the Nassau Square Massacre in September 16th in back in, I believe it was 2007. I'm trying to remember, 2007, 2008 where they just came and they just opened fire at Iraqi civilians in Baghdad. And, uh, you know, they, the, you know, the killings really, you know, almost caused war once, once again between Iraq and the United States. And, uh, you know, they, you know, they, they can lie. They, they say, you know, well, you know, we were being attacked just by being there. But, I mean, these, these private military, these private militias, are the military wing of many of these right-wing Christian groups um, who hope to override the uh, laws of the government and in and uh, our military uh, rules in order to engage in their own uh, agendas as far as how we treat or how we conquer other nations. Well, what worries me is that they will, um, you know, a false flag, they will uh, trigger something and blame it on another country. Um, I mean, let's just say Iran, for instance, I mean, like this last skirmish, um, you know, blame it on a foreign country to start a war, because after all, they're going to get richer if we have a war, because they're, uh, you know, they're military contractors who get paid tons more money than, you know, uh, you know, actual soldiers do. Uh, and on top of that, they're end timers. So, you know, they want to see it all collapse. So that's a recipe for disaster, in my opinion. It is a recipe for disaster, and this is what they want. They, you know, growing up in the church that I did and hearing the, uh, you know, for example, Pastor John Hagee uh, in, in San Antonio, Texas, is a very big end-time uh, preacher, and many of the ministers throughout the, throughout the church, uh, throughout the church world have adopted many of his, um, his, his teachings, is that, you know, we need Israel. We need Israel to stand. We need Israel to not fail. Without Israel, there is no uh, there there is no Jesus coming back. We need to make sure that as long as we protect Israel and as long as we 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 can uh, keep the Muslims from uh, infiltrating Jerusalem, the city of God, that we can build the second temple. And by building the the temple, we will be able to then usher in the golden age of Jesus to come in on a white horse with all of his warriors and, uh, you know, dispense with the evil Palestinians and the evil Arabs who are descended. You know, there's this narrative in the Bible which talks about the two sons of Abraham, uh, Ishmael and Isaac, and that, you know, the the two sons, uh, Ishmael is the ancestor of the Arab people, and Isaac is the ancestor of the Jewish people, and that Abraham gave the right to his land to uh, to Isaac and banished Ishmael to the desert um, where he has to wander. And so this is considered in, in extreme Judaism, you know, where, 
or you know, not even in extreme Judaism, but also in in extreme Christianity, how to treat the Arabs? That they have no right to the land, they have no right to be there. Israel deserves to be an empire once more with the backing of the United States of America. And this is going to happen whether it's through private military uh, contractors or through the military of the United States, through the orders of the President of the United States and the orders of the Republican-controlled Congress. We need Republican-controlled Congress, and we need a uh, Republican-controlled Supreme Court in order to make sure that these attacks are legal. Wow. Um, well, and, uh, you know, it kind of goes without saying, but let's touch on it a little bit. You know, I've, uh, I've interviewed some women in years past who escaped the Quiverful movement, which I think was Dominionist Christianity. Um, I, I want to hear what it was like for a woman in Dominionist Christianity, and I also want to hear how you escaped, Lewis. So um, share a little bit of that. You know, it's interesting. Um as conservatives they are, many of the dominionists believe that women should also be preachers and leaders. Um, and, you know, that by doing so, they will give an example to other women that they will be able... It's controversial. It really is controversial. But many of the Pentecostal churches um, push forward the idea that you know, women can be leaders. Um, the idea that women not being able to be leaders is, is, is quote-unquote, tradition, and we need to break tradition. And, uh, you know, matter of fact, the church that I grew up in broke away from, another, from, another, from a large denomination uh, in order to make sure that their women were in charge. And honestly, I don't understand the cognitive dissonance because it's one of those where, uh, you know, we want to take control of the government. We want to tell people what to do, but and we want to make sure women are back in the kitchen. But yeah, we're going to have women as leaders. It, it's very strange to me. Um, but the way I I, I escaped, uh, you know, I grew up in a, in a Pentecostal Holiness Church, and I was vastly interested in in history, and I still am. And so I began to research the roots of the uh, Pentecostal church and the Pentecostal movement, and I began to research the roots of the church that I grew up in. And really, it, 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 it opened my eyes. I learned so much through reading that I thought, this can't be true. This, you know, this, this idea that Pentecostalism is, is, is new, that it is uh, reformed in the church, this idea that you know, the Pentecostal church um, has always been filled with controversy, and many of its major leaders, like A.A. A. Allen or, or William Branham, were um, diagnosed or, or struggled with alcoholism or depression, or, you know, they had their own fights. And because, you know, we, we, we were taught that as long as you were a leader, as long as you were anointed, that and chosen by God, that you didn't have these issues, you didn't have these problems. And, you know, so it really opened my eyes to the fact, you know, that's how it started, was slowly removing these blocks in my brain about, oh, okay, so not everything is perfect, Um, not everybody's the same, okay, all right, you know, that's fine, everybody has their demonic struggles, that's okay, you know, maybe not everyone's perfect, but then... I also began to struggle with my sexuality, and this was also something major because 
you know, I was told, and I hid it as, as best as I could, but, you know, it was believed that in our church that, you know, salvation was a continuous thing. Many, many, many Protestant churches teach that if you come to Jesus once and you say a prayer of salvation, you commit yourself to him, that no matter what you do afterwards, you're, you're a Christian, you're saved, you will go to heaven. Well, in the church that I grew up in, there was an atmosphere of fear where if you did one thing wrong, even as a child, even if you were four or five years old and you disobeyed your parents and something happened and you died, you'd be burning in hellfire. Uh, the pastor of the church, who is now a bishop of the church, um, you know, ha- was famous for uh, preaching at funerals and giving eulogies about how the person in the casket was in hell uh, because they didn't believe in, in Jesus Christ and they died uh, a sinner, so therefore they, they are in hell. And he had no qualms about doing this, and he felt he was radical and just preaching the truth. And my sexuality uh, was a big part in how I questioned myself. And I thought, okay, well, this is my cross I have to bear. You know, this is going to be my demonic struggle. Um, But as I began to also research the the languages and I began to expose myself to um, people who who are Jewish and to Jewish thinking and to see how they interpreted the Bible, why why did Jews not believe in Jesus? Why were Jews... I mean, the Bible is right there. It, It talks about the prophecies. Why did they refuse it? But when I began to expose myself to other belief systems and other people... Uh, away from the church where I was at because my church was in uh, close to Miami and I lived in uh, more upper Palm Beach County in South Florida. And so my exposure was to other people who were Christians but of a different flavor. And, you know, for me it was a constant fight as to, because I felt like I was the lonely one, you know, the lonely uh, church boy warrior who needed to convert the entire school to Christ. And that was, you know, the image that I had that was put upon me because I was being groomed for televangelism, believe it or not. Um, and, and so turning away from that was really a blow to my family, to the church, uh, to bring in money, <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, but I escaped because of, of study. I, I pushed myself to study. I pushed myself to, to learn as much as I could. I, I thought it was a passion. I thought, oh, I'm, gonna pa- I'm, I'm, I'm passionate about what I want to learn and I want to learn more. But the more I learned, the more I began to unravel. Education is a very dangerous thing for them. And, um, and so the more educated I became, so the worse it became as far as my belief systems were concerned. I mean, in my household, it was believed that, you know, uh, book burning was allowed because, you know, the demons could come in through books and through influences. So... I remember very clearly my mother following the pastor's advice, and this is very popular also in Dominionist camps, where you have book burnings. You take books that are non-Christian or non-gospel, not friendly to the church, and, and you burn them. And so my mother felt that in order to free our household from demons, we had to burn books. And we burned so many books in a, in a metal barrel outside of my home and um, in order to remove the ungodly influence of demons that were trapping my home. I mean, this is the atmosphere that I grew up in. Well, 
Wow. Well, uh, good for you. Good for you getting out. And and here we go again, you know, uh, the importance of education. You know, it makes me think about how, you know, the Republicans are always wanting to cut education, uh, you know, and, and uh, it makes me think that, um, you know, maybe maybe this is behind it. You know, I'm sure there are other things, too. You know, then there's more money for corporate welfare and, and stuff like that, but uh, uh, also, um, you know, an uneducated population is a lot easier, uh, you know, a lot easier to control. Um, well, Lewis, how can we rec- how can we recognize Dominionist Christianity? You know, because we don't want to, um, you know, br- you know, paint all Christians with the same brush. Um, you know, because there are good people out there. I mean, I, I, you know, have to keep reminding myself, you know, like of uh, former President Jimmy Carter. And um, I mean, how do we recognize them? And I know this might be crazy, but gee, it would be awfully great if there was a list of who these people are who are in Congress and in the Senate as well. Um, you know, do, is, there, is there such a list? Um, unfortunately, the, the list um, is, is, is great. I mean, we're, anybody who is, at this moment in time in our history, um, I can say that any GOP... Republican who is in power, 90% sure that they are a Dominionist, because that is the party. It happened since the Tea Party rose. The Tea Party uh, really pushed uh, what's called Christian Reconstructionism, um, followed the teachings of R.J. Rushtung, who I mentioned earlier is the father of Christian homeschooling, uh, pushes David Barton, who I mentioned earlier, uh, wrote the Founder's Bible, um, so we're talking about in, at this moment in history, most likely, if somebody is a GOP or most in leadership, most likely they are going to be a Christian Dominionist. Unfortunately, and how do we recognize them? It's very simple. You know, do they push the gospel uh, more so? Are they end times obsessed with the end times and with prophecies? Um, do they believe that you know? That the, that the church deserves, that the pastors, you know, deserve money and tithing. You know, do they go to a mega church? Um, are they um, anti-LGBTQ? You know, um, I mean, these are ways that we can recognize just by their, their, their rhetoric is how we can recognize the difference. Yes, there are good Christians who may believe the same thing, but we're starting to see a push towards more liberal Christianity where many of them are taking sides and saying, no, you know, we may not agree with the lifestyle, quote unquote, of LGBTQ or, you know, but we certainly are not in a position to judge them. We are certainly not in a position, you know, we will welcome them with love, whereas Dominionist theologies are like, no, we will, we will not welcome them with love. They are evil. They are demonic. We will not stand for this. Um, so really, you know, because it's an agenda being pushed on our children, look for that speech about the children and, you know, family, anything with a family, such as the Family Research Council, anybody who pushes anything about the, the family values, you can pretty much bet that they are dominionist. So would you say um, Fox News is controlled by dominionists? Definitely. I mean, the media is one of the seven mountains that, you know, the dominionist uh, theology wanted to 
wanted to really push. I mean, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you know, they want to take control of the airways because Ephesians 6.12 says, you know, for we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against the spirits and principalities and the power of the air. And, you know, we we follow, they follow Isaiah 61 and 1, which says something to the effect of how the Spirit of the Lord is upon them because the Lord has anointed them to preach good tidings to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, and to proclaim liberty and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. So what better way, actually, to control information than to control the media? Um, you know, Fox News, the, the voice of the Tea Party since its inception, which Donald uh, Trump was really a frontrunner and, and a face for the Tea Party for years, ever since Obama took office um, previously in 2000 and, um, 2008. Uh, you know, ever since then, you know, he, all opposing viewpoints, all conflicting opinions, all information, it's all to be banned. Um, and it's actually a sin to give uh, space to anybody else. So we've had people like Rush Limbaugh. We've had people like, you know, um, uh, on the airwaves. You know, we've had people like Sarah Palin on, on Fox News. And we've had anybody else, what I call faux news, F-A-U-X, faux news. Uh, but Fox News really is the right-wing spin machine. Um, and ever since it was founded, um, you know, I believe it was founded in the 90s as a reaction to the liberal media and that were covering Clinton at the time. You know, that's that's how we that's how we get there. Okay, wow. Um, well, you know, we've covered a lot, but um, uh, there there may be more that I didn't think to ask. Um, is there anything else, um, you know, we need to know? Uh, I mean, for instance, are all Pentecostals dominionists? Um, uh, you know, I mean, if if we if we don't, I mean, you know, labels are dangerous, you know, so um, I, I hate to put labels on, but if we don't hear their rhetoric, but, uh, you know, how do we know if that church on the corner is Dominionist Christian, you know, it, um, you know, besides, is it all evangelicals, all Pentecostals? I mean, what other groups, you know, Baptists, um, you know, what other groups fall under the category? Pentecostals definitely. We're talking about people, a, a, a movement that started in 1906 and, and, and in a small street in Los Angeles called Azusa Street, which became known as the Azusa Street Revival. And so we, we've ex, and it's exploded around the world as a very popular movement. And so your local Pentecostal church, of course, may may 99.9% sure they are going to be dominionists uh, for sure because. You know, their belief system is that we have to unite against the liberals. Um, that's the rhetoric of the Pentecostal church. You know, we need to be holy. And many of the Pentecostal churches also, if they have a preacher, uh, especially by the name of prophet or apostle, so-and-so, because they are moving to what's called the apostolic resurrection, where they are pushing for people to be um, these top-tier hierarchy leaders as teachers, as pastors, as prophets that work for God, uh, that, that proclaim, they're like oracles, they proclaim the, the, the visions of God, they direct the church, the church's mission, and apostles, of course, are people who are over many, many churches, um, who have founded many, many churches within a denomination. 
these these are these are the dangerous hierarchies that the higher you go the more popular and more powerful you become as far as money as far as influence uh, as far as being on television and even founding possibly Christian stations. Uh, the more Christian stations that are founded the, 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 and the more Christian influence, the better. Um, so, yes, definitely Pentecostal churches, charismatic churches. Charismatic churches are Pentecostal churches, but Pentecostal theology has infiltrated rather um, mainstream churches, such as there are charismatic Catholics, there are charismatic Baptists, Baptists who, who adhere to Baptist theology but they speak in tongues, or they believe in healing, or they believe in exorcisms of, the, of, of, of demonic spirits. Um, Southern Baptists are most likely dominionists because of their, their history of pushing against uh, global con- uh, uh, liberal agendas like Disney World or uh, Hollywood or um, you know, education that is not acceptable, um, you know, to to their children. There it is again, their children. So we're looking at, at denominations like Pentecostals, Charismatics, Southern Baptists, uh, other denominations like, um, you know, Methodists, maybe soft Christians or, or you know, uh, more liberal, such as Lutherans, although there are some Lutheran groups, Lutheran followers that are more fundamentalist. But overall, I think a lot of European-rooted um and that's what we're seeing as a culture of European versus American. A lot of European-rooted uh, churches have been there and done that with, um, with talk about church and state being in control. So as far as that's concerned, you know, they've learned their lesson for the most part. So what we're, what we're really seeing is, a, is the American uh, philosophy, the American way uh, of the birth of American churches, excuse me, who, um, who so are would- really vying for it. So, Lewis, would you say when, uh, I mean, I'm a Bernie Sanders supporter, uh, and, you know, I'm for workers, and, you know, my tax dollars going for me, uh, you know, and, and the people who need it as opposed to corporate welfare or the military-industrial complex. Um, so would you say the people who are against Medicare for All, for instance, or who are against, um, uh, you know, free college, even though a few decades ago it used to be free or almost free, these are all going to be, um, these are probably all going to be dominionists? Yes, very much so, because they believe, again, that you must work for it. They believe that you have to earn your keep, and they believe that, you know, nothing is for free because, you know, God didn't make anything for free. There's a price to pay, and if there's a price to pay, you have to pay a similar price. You have to bear a cross. And, um, you know, when Medicare was released, there, there was a push. Oh, my gosh, here we are, socialism once again. We need to fight against socialism. Ronald Reagan was very famous in that he was one of the people who pushed against social, this social agenda. So, yes, if they are against these kinds of things, yes, most likely they are dominionists because they want to take control of the narrative. So your tax dollars uh, isn't considered paying for it. That's correct. Your tax dollars are what's owed to, there's a famous saying in the Bible, give to Caesar what is Caesar and give to God what is God's. Um, You know, we need to give to Caesar, the government, what belongs to Caesar, the government, which is our taxes. But in America, it's how our taxes are used, and they'd rather use our taxes for the military-industrial complex 
uh, to support Israel and to go against the, the evil Islamic empires uh, rather than social uh, social programs. Jesus. So, so they would rather spend our tax dollars on war than uh, feed people, educate people. Well, obviously they don't want to educate people. It, it's insane. I mean, it's insane. So a couple people I want to ask you if they're dominionist. Um, was Ronald Reagan dominionist? Ronald Reagan, you know, he he wasn't uh, he he couldn't be labeled a dominionist. Um I mean, he engaged or his wife Nancy engaged in astrology and other things. Um but he was a favorite picture. He was the golden boy for the Republican Party at that time. Dominionism really began to take off around the, around the t- same time, but it was really the Christian majority, the Christian coalition um which really uh pushed for someone like him. But dominionism in and of itself, so that was one of the roots of early dominionism is the Christian coalition and the moral majority under the late Jerry Falwell. So Ronald Reagan wasn't a dominionist per se, although he did, well, he was around people who espoused a dominionist philosophy at that time. And the guy, uh, Joel, uh, Joel Osteen, I think, uh, the one in Texas who wouldn't open his doors during, I think it was Hurricane Katrina when people were flooding, um, you know, I, I wonder about him. Is uh, I, I don't know what he preaches. I mean, I know he preaches prosperity gospels. Um, do you have any idea if he's dominionist? Yeah, Pastor Joel Osteen, yes. I was familiar with his father, um, his late father, um, but Joel Osteen, yes, is definitely dominionist. Um, he tries to hide it. Many of the in, under the guise of motivational speaking, many many of the many of dominionists try to hide it in in the ideal of, oh well, we're just inspirational speakers. We're just here to see better life, and we're just here to to make sure that you you know. And they'll say you know platitudes, you know of of you know getting better, self help, and all these other things. But they're, what they're really teaching is if you read their books and you read the literature, uh, many of them are just sermons that they've preached in book form, to be honest with you. That's all they are. But uh, So they sell them again. They sell their ideas. But many of their platitudes are, are centered around the Bible or their interpretation of the Bible as far as taking charge, being part of your job, you know, being an example for Christ, um, going up in, in, in your career, being in charge, I've even heard of um, many of Joel Osteen's and, and some of his supporters talk about how Christians need to be in charge of all in all sectors of corporate corporations because and and sinners who uh, deserve to be the workers. Ah, okay, yeah. So they want to they want to be the exploiters, the oppressors. Jeez. Um, um, you know, I, I wish I wish the media would grow some cojones, and when they talk to these people on the air, uh, they would say, "So, uh, are your is this uh, you know these ideas of yours are they based on on your religious beliefs?" You know, but that but that conversation is never had when you know these pundits come on TV. Um, you know, you you know, I, I think the average person doesn't really know what's behind uh, why these people believe what they believe. You know, um, crazy, crazy, crazy. Um, well, Lewis, um, is there anything else you want to add to today's conversation that maybe I haven't thought to ask? You know, thank you again for having me on, and, and I, I really enjoyed this conversation about what we had. And, 
you know, to be honest, uh, it gave me an opportunity to share my, my experience. And I just want to encourage people out there who are part of a dominionist uh, or deliverance ministry that if you want to get out, you can get out. You, you, you can uh, educate yourself. And it, it's important to know that there are people out there who have escaped, like myself and others. And, you know, don't allow yourself to be part of this cult because that's what it really is. It's very dangerous to you and your children. It's very dangerous to you and your families. Um, and the idea that the end times are here or are coming, the idea that Jesus is imminent, so we have to do what we can to take control of everything, including your children's mind and homeschooling. Um, these are dangerous ideas, and the more you educate yourself, the better. I, I encourage um, you who are out there to ask questions, and if your questions can't be answered, that's a red flag. Um, if your pastor or your church leader or your elders will not answer certain questions, it's a red flag. Take it to heart. Do your own study. And uh, really, what I, what I, do what I teach. Think for yourself and question authority. Think for yourself and question authority. So I want to encourage you, you're not alone. Well, thank you. Thank you, Lewis. Um, I've been talking to Reverend Lewis A. Valadez, who is going to be back with me next Wednesday, and uh, we're going to kind of have a parallel track or kind of a part two. Uh, we're going to talk about the historical connections uh, between capitalism and Christianity, uh, because I think that's really important, too. Uh, you know, we uh, spoke a little bit about that today, uh, but we're going to go into it in a little bit more detail. So, um, I hope you've enjoyed the show, and uh, I hope you'll be back with me next Wednesday. And uh, always remember uh, to click uh, the follow button on my show page, because if you do that, uh, you will get an email reminder in your inbox of who the guest is and what the topic is each week, and uh, you won't have to remember uh, to come listen to Voices of the Sacred Feminine. It will be uh, conveniently be waiting for you there in your inbox. Um, so, Reverend Lewis, thank you so much uh, for this important information. Uh, I, I think maybe now more than ever, uh, people really have to know um, you know who the people are in government and uh, why they're making the decisions they're making and um, uh, you know like you said education is the key and uh, thank you for coming on and um, you know bringing this information to uh, to myself and my listeners I appreciate it absolutely I'm so glad to be here thank you again for hosting and uh, may the goddess bless you and everyone who's listening Thank you. Thank you. And um, I look forward to speaking with you again next Wednesday. Goodbye. Next Wednesday. Absolutely. Goodbye. All right, uh, listeners, that about does it for me for today. Um, I hope you enjoyed the show. And uh, tune in again uh, next Wednesday, and we will continue the conversation. Uh, until then, I uh, hope you have a wonderful weekend. And um, if you're having great weather, go out and enjoy it and just uh, breathe in Mother Nature. Bye-bye. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.